0: Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for Scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's Word and apply His message to your everyday life. Visit SeekingTruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today it's part two of the book of Genesis, chapters 21 and 22. And now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. So he's 17 now, Ishmael, and she's going to try it again. She has to go out there and cry out to the Lord again. It's kind of deja vu. Is he going to hear me this time? Because I got a kid now. I got a 17-year-old and we're thirsty and our water's almost gone. Will God see me this time? Will you hear me this time, Lord? Will you hear my cry now? Are you still there? Are you still living? Are you still looking at me? Will he that liveth and see her 17 years ago notice her again? Because they're getting desperate they're running out of water. The boy is getting dehydrated. And when the water in the skin was gone, she cast the child under one of the bushes. He's dehydrated. He's weak. He's ready to pass out. She gets him under a bush for a little bit of shade that can extend a few hours of their life. Then she went down and sat down over against him a good way off about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me not look upon the death of the child. She cannot bear to sit there and watch her child die. And some of you have had to do that in this room. You've lost a child. And you know, you know the pain and the grief of that and the sorrow of just that unbearable pain of watching a child die in front of your eyes and you can do nothing. I love this painting of Hagar. Her eyes, another one, the sorrow. She's watching her son die. Another mother had to watch her son die. Hagar won't have to. Ishmael, uh, Ishmael's not going to die. Mary's son will die and she will watch it. God could have taken her any time, but he allowed her to stay and experience that deep grief and sorrow of losing a child before your very eyes. She stood at the base of the cross in full sorrow watching her son, the Lamb of God, swooning in grief, unbearable grief. Hagar sat over against Ishmael. The child lifted up his voice and wept. He has just enough strength to cry out one more time, to be crying and to, to let his voice out one more time. And God heard the voice of the lad. God heard the voice of Ishmael, the prayer of Ishmael. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven. And he said to her, "'What troubles you, Hagar?' So thou art a God of seeing. He has seen me again. He has heard our cry. He has heard my cry and my son's cry. The God who sees me, Abraham's God who's alive. What troubles you, Hagar. I love this painting because this does look like a 17-year-old boy. This artist did their homework. Arise, lift up the lad as did this one. Hold him fast with your hand for I will make him a great nation. That promise comes again. Ishmael going to be a great nation. Then god opened her eyes she was probably delirious dehydrated was this a dream god opened her eyes did i hear what i heard and she sees a well of water has sprung up and she went to fill it and and she went and filled the skin with water water has appeared the lord has saved her once again she gave the lad a drink god has heard ishmael that's what it means god has heard god will hear the lord hears the cry of the poor That's what the psalmist tells us. If you want God to hear your cry for your children, for your loved ones, for your spouse, for whoever in your life, he hears the cry of the poor. He's not real keen on listening to the rich, proud, arrogant people. God hears the cry of the poor. Stay little, stay small, stay humble, be a beggar god hears the cry of the poor he heard them that day the lord who sees me heard me god will hear our prayers too he will hear us he will hear us he will hear us he will hear us whatever you're praying for especially if it's for the soul of someone because god really cares about that that's an eternal thing to pray for god will hear those prayers god heard saint monica she prayed she waited a long time for saint augustine is there anything too hard for the lord with God, nothing is impossible. You might not see it in your lifetime. You'll be more eternally alive in the throne room of heaven than you ever are here on earth. The Lord hears the cry of the poor. Keep crying out to him and keep staying humble and small. God was with the lad. He grew up. He lived in the wilderness and he became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran. It's still there today. This is what it looks like. This was the land he got. Here's a Google image, the wilderness of Paran. His mother, Hagar, took a wife for her son. Guess where she got the wife? From the land of Egypt. Why? She's an Egyptian maidservant, right? She wants her son to have an Egyptian woman. According to Muslim belief, Hagar was the Egyptian handmaid of Abraham's first wife, Sarah. She became Abraham's second wife. Jewish scripture agrees. She eventually settled in the desert of Paran with her son, Ishmael. Hagar is honored as an especially important matriarch of monotheism as it was through Ishmael, that Muhammad would later come. Neither Sarah nor Hagar are mentioned in the Quran, but the story is traditionally understood to be referred to in a line from Abraham's prayer, where Abraham writes, I have settled some of my family in a barren valley near your sacred house. That would be the desert of Paran. While Hagar is not named, the reader lives Hagar's predicament indirectly through the eyes of Abraham. Abraham will have these first two sons, he'll have more after them, but the first son is Ishmael, he's the ancestor of the Ishmaelites, the father of the Ishmaelites. Isaac will be the father of Jacob, we'll be meeting him soon, Jacob's name gets changed to Israel, so Isaac is the father of the Israelites. Now Abraham and Abimelech will make a blood covenant, and it's over water, because when you're in the desert, you have gotta have water, the thirst is so great. They get together, and Bimelech and Phicol, the commander of the army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. They see that Abraham's blessed. He has flocks. He has herds. Uh, God has blessed him abundantly, and, and they know his God is good. And they say, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or my offspring or my prosperity. Getting kind of worried that he's going to take over. This guy's prosperous, Abraham is. I've always dealt loyally with you. And now you deal loyally with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. So Abraham is going to seven himself in the Hebrew. To swear an oath is to seven oneself. And he's going to swear an oath with Abimelech that he will be fair and he will be fair. And it's all about water. Uh, Abraham complained to Abimelech about a well of water that his servants had seized. And Abimelech said, I don't know anything about this water. Thing. This is the first time I've ever heard of it. This is Abraham's well in the middle of the Negev, And when you bring flocks and herds, they need to drink. They need water. And Abimelech's men have taken over this well. So this is the first Abimelech had heard about it. He gave Abraham sheep and oxen. And uh, the two men made a blood covenant that day. And Abraham set out seven ewe lambs, and where did he learn this from Genesis 15 when God split apart the animals so he's splitting apart seven lambs and you'll keep hearing the words seven and three in this passage seven lambs I will take from my hand you will be a witness that I dug this well he's going to take seven lambs cut the carcasses they'll walk through the lambs together and it means if I don't keep my end of the bargain may my body be sliced in half and my blood drained onto the sand so it's a blood covenant usually after a blood covenant You would share a meal together, a covenant meal. Uh, So seven ewe lambs were slaughtered that day. They made a blood covenant, and I'm sure they shared a meal afterwards. That's Abraham's well at Beersheba, the actual well we're talking about. This is a picture from the mid-1900s. It was called Beersheba because that word means, they both swore the oath there. The word Beersheba means to swear an oath, the well of the seven lambs, or the well of the oath. To seven oneself. The Well of the Oath, the Well of the Seven Lambs, it's still there. It's 70 meters deep. And that town is called Beersheba, where they swore an oath at the well. There it's been excavated, the Old Tell Beersheba. But it's also a modern city now that is one of the largest in square footage, uh, second to Jerusalem in, in square foot. It's a booming metropolis. It has the eighth most populous in. Israel, second largest in square footage. One more thing Abraham did here in this place at Beersheba, he planted a tamarisk tree. And I always like to look up the botany in the Bible because it's important. Why did he plant a tamarisk tree? They tell us the type. And it was there at Beersheba, he planted a tamarisk tree and he called on the name of the Lord the everlasting God. And it's the first time we hear that title in Genesis, the everlasting God. And a tamarisk tree is a unique tree. It's one of the few trees that can survive in the Negev. It has a very deep root system, and it can take in salt water. That's like where the salt, the Lot's wife, it's a very salty area, the Dead Sea. This tree will secrete the salt on its leaves and drip water in the morning. It's the tamarisk tree. It grows extremely slowly. So Abraham's not planting this for himself. He'll never see this tree through to maturity. It's a very slow growing tree. But generations to come will know that Abraham planted a tamarisk tree at this spot at Beersheba. And anyone who comes across a tree like this in the desert immediately gets under the shade of the tree. It's a very stabilizing tree with the sand dunes. And it's the only evergreen tree in the world that's disingenuous. And it changes like deciduous trees do in the seasons, but it'll die. And then it comes back evergreen. It's it's one of the very few trees that is evergreen in the ancient world. And so to Abraham, that meant the everlasting God, the evergreen God, the ever living God. It's the source. uh, We use evergreen trees for our Christmas season. It has to be a Christmas tree like this, right? That's evergreen, forever green. And that originally meant that as Christ was crucified, but rose again to eternal life, he's coming back to judge the living and the dead that we might have forever life, be forever green with God. So he makes an eternal covenant with the eternal God and plants the eternal tamarisk tree to symbolize that he is the everlasting God. Now is Abraham ready for the test of his life? Because the very next thing, the ultimate test, has he grown in his faith strong enough? Are his roots deep enough? Is he drinking deep enough from the well of living water of God that he can withstand this next test? Because it's biggest test he'll ever have in his entire life. It's the binding of Isaac. And when God tests our faith, will he find it deep enough, genuine enough, authentic, real enough? You know, when people get sick that have no faith or as tragedy happens in their life and they have no faith, they don't know where to turn. But if you have faith in place, people will say, ah, I don't know what I would have done if I didn't have faith. How would I have gotten through this with no faith? So you want that faith rooted, deep. Now is the time to be working on it. We're we're really preparing for one moment in our life, death. That's the only moment that counts, really, for all eternity. Is your faith genuine? Is it deep enough? How firm are you planted in the Lord? So after these things, God tested Abraham. And Genesis 22, it's the test of his life, a test like none other. He said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Now, surely God knows that he has two sons. Wait a minute. Did God forget? Did God have a memory lapse? Because he just blessed Ishmael and said he'd be a nation. And now he's just saying he only has one son, Isaac. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him, Isaac, there as a burnt offering. A burnt offering a burnt offering. Wait a minute, Lord, did I hear you right? My son Isaac, a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell you. So he and the Lord are going to be in continued dialogue because he doesn't know the exact spot yet. And the Lord's going to tell him. So they're praying about this on the way up. Abraham rose early in the morning. He saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. So he goes to Moriah. And on the third day, and we see the divine number, the third day, he lifts up his eyes and sees the place far off. The Lord shows him. The third day. It's an important day in the Bible. Something really big happens on the third day. Jonah was spewed from the tomb of the whale on the third day. Jesus was spewed from the tomb on the third day. Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw this place on the third day far off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the ass. I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. So Abraham's telling them, we're coming back, both of us, you know, we'll we'll be right back. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. Now, Jesus is definitely the anti-type here. He is the real Isaac. He is the real final sacrifice, the true Lamb of God. He carries the wood on his back just as Isaac carried the wood on his back up the same mountain, the same Mount Moriah range. He took in his hand the fire and the knife. Abraham's going to be the priest. He's got he's building the fire. He's got the knife and he's got the incense, the fire for the Lord to offer the sacrifice of burnt offering. The sacrifice is going to be Isaac. So they went together and Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am my son. And he said, behold the fire and the water here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? You feel the tension growing because we know, and he doesn't know. But the burnt offering must be a human blood sin offering. God doesn't want oxes and sheep and bullocks anymore. He tells us that several times. He wants hearts. He wants circumcised hearts. He gets tired of the blood of goats and lambs. There are only one blood that will appease human sin, and it's the perfect, obedient offering of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. It's usually a lamb for the burnt offering. And Abraham said God will himself provide a lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Where's the lamb? God will provide the lamb. So they went both of them together. God will provide the lamb. So we just see so much typology in this story. Jesus is that lamb. God will provide himself in the second person of the Trinity. He will take on human flesh because it has to be human blood to appease the human sin. And it has to be perfect human blood offered back to the father in perfect obedience. So he has to be incarnate. He has to take on flesh, become one of us, and then give it all back to God. When they came to the place which God had told him, Abraham built an altar there and he laid the wood in order. So he's acting as the priest, getting the sacrifice ready and Abraham bound Isaac, his son. Just to imagine this scene, and we don't know the age of Isaac. The Jewish uh, rabbis tend to write that he's in his 30s, but even if he's 12 to 15, he could have run away from a 100-year-old man, and he's 112 now or whatever. You know, He, he could have run away from this guy. Isaac is very obedient to his father. Jesus was very obedient to his father, too. And Isaac has to be bound now by Abraham. And this must have been tearing Abraham up inside. And he laid him on the altar upon the wood. Then Abraham put forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Then Abraham took forth his hand, took the knife to slay his son. And stop, stop, stop. An angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham that was probably the best voice Abraham ever heard in his life. He said, here I am, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or anything. Don't do anything to him. For now, I know that you fear God. This is God, Abraham's God saying to him, you don't have to do this now. I know, I know the intent of your heart. I know how much you are in awe of me. I know how much you revere me. I know how much you honor me. I know how much you love me, that you would make me first over your only beloved son. Abraham, I know. I know you fear me now. You can stop. You passed the test. You passed it with flying colors. I know your heart. You love me. Your faith has grown over all these years. You are obedient, obedient, obedient. You heard me right, Abraham, and you obeyed and you followed me. I know you fear God. And the Proverbs tell us that fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom or fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And that doesn't mean to be afraid of the Lord. It means to have awe and reverence and respect for the Lord and his majesty and his sovereignty. I buy my boys a Bible when they go to college and I put this on the very front page. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. I don't care what you learn at college if you don't know this, you don't have anything. I don't care about your degree. I care about your eternal soul. If you don't fear the Lord, if you have no awe and wonder and respect for the Lord, I don't care what you learned at any university. For now, I know that you fear God. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. I know you fear me, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. He means the only son of promise, the supernatural birth, the one you waited and waited and waited and waited for, the one your faith grew for, the one you were obedient to me for, over you love me more than him, to have the fear of the Lord over all else, even family relationships. What do you think Sarah thought of this? He loves God more than Sarah. I have to do what God told me to do. At all costs, he must trust God's word. He knows nothing, nothing, nothing is impossible with God. God said, I'll have numerous descendants, as numerous as the stars through this kid, through this promised kid. He told me that time and time again, all through the scriptures. He told me that I got to do what he says now, because I know God is true to his word. And some way this is all going to work out. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Anything, maybe even a resurrection. Maybe God could raise my son from the dead. Maybe. God's telling me to do this. i got to obey him. Hebrews saw that connection by faith. Abraham, when he was tested, offered up up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was ready to offer up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your descendants be named. He considered that God was able to raise men even from the dead. i got to do what God says. Maybe he'll raise up Isaac. And Abraham lifted up his eyes. He looked and behold, behind him was a ram, not a lamb, but a ram. And it was a ram caught in the thicket by his thorns. The lamb of God was also caught in a thicket by his thorns, in, in, a thicket of thorns. Many artists paint this, the crowning glory of the king of kings, his crown, a, a crown of a thicket of thorns. And that True Crown was one of the relics in Notre Dame when the cathedral was burning. They have the crown of thorns that Jesus wore. And so Father Jean-Marc Fournier, the chaplain of the Paris Fire Brigade, was willing to risk his life to run back into Notre Dame's burning cathedral and rescue those precious artifacts. This is a wound of Christ we hardly ever talk about, but he also had a great shoulder wound. Uh, and I love this painting. I'd never seen it before. I just wanted to tell you quickly that St. Bernard of Claveau asked Jesus in prayer which of his wounds was the worst and jesus said i had on my shoulder while i bore my cross on the way of sorrows a grievous wound which was more painful than the others and which is not recorded by men and he was referring to his shoulder pain from carrying that big heavy wooden cross padre pio venerated the shoulder wound of jesus and he suffered it himself as stigma padre pio had the stigmata including the shoulder wound It's in the book by Stefano Campanella, the Pope and the Friar. When John Paul II visited Padre Pio, John Paul was a priest, Father Carol Buitia at the time. He visited in real life Padre Pio and he asked him of his stigmata wounds, which is the most painful. And Father... he, he thought it'd be the sacred heart. And Padre Pio said, it's my shoulder wound, which no one knows about. And had his, it has never been cured or treated. So carrying the wood up the mountain. And now Abraham has been stopped. Stop. I know you fear me. You passed the test. Abraham lifts his eyes. He sees the ram caught in the thicket of thorns and he offers it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. God will provide the lamb. Isaac wasn't the lamb. And a ram is not a lamb. Where they were still waiting for the Lamb of God, the one God would provide on the same mountain range, Mount Moriah. I love this painting with the cross back in the distance in the clouds. This is what is to come, the true Lamb of God. John the Baptist knew it the moment he saw Jesus walking full of the Holy Spirit from conception on. He said, behold, the Lamb of God, there he is, the one the Lord will provide, the Lamb of God, there he is. Go to him, leave me, I'm done, go, go, go to the Lamb. He can forgive your sins. I can't. You can come and repent here. I can baptize you. I can't take your sins away. He can't. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Go to him. So Abram called the name of that place the Lord will provide. As it is said on this day on the mount, the Lord, it shall be provided. It is that same mount. They offer their sacrifice. Abraham is priest. It's on that same mount that the Lord will provide the final lamb. The pure blood sacrifice that would take all sin for all time. A darkness falls for three hours. Remember when Abraham went into that sleep and it was only God who would keep his end of the eternal covenant? Of the new covenant, it is only God. We will sin over and over and over again. If it was left for us to keep the covenant, it could never happen. But Jesus Christ will take it all on himself. It will only be dependent on him and his obedience to the Father and his perfect blood. He is the blood covenant. It's dependent on him alone. Jesus is victim and priest. Isaac was only victim. Jesus is the final high priest. Abraham was the priest in this story, holding the fire and the knife for the sacrifice. Remember when we studied Isaiah, it's on this mountain. We had this reading in mass this week. On this mountain, the same mountain where Abraham is, the same mountain where Jesus was. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of fat things, a feast of wine on the lees, of fat things full of marrow, of wine on the lees, well refined. And he will destroy on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever and then they would have shared a meal. And Isaiah talks about that meal. They would have shared this ram. Isaiah said, we'll have a feast of fat things and marrow and wine beyond compare. And Jesus on that mountain perfectly completed the eternal covenant. His body was broken for us. What's the feast? it's a blood covenant it's only dependent on him but he gives us a feast to share he said at the last supper i really want to eat this final passover with you and and they do eat the lamb but he said i won't eat and drink again until the kingdom of god is ushered in and so now the feast is the eucharist by the power of the holy spirit coming down and changing the blood the wine into blood the Bread into the body. God did provide a lamb on that mount of sacrifice. He is God's only begotten, beloved son. But God has many sons and daughters by adoption. But Jesus is the only begotten son of the Father. He does not spare his own son. His own son becomes the Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice who can and will and did take away the sin of the world. And happy are all those who are called to the supper of the Lamb. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Thank you, Thank you for being our Isaac. but thank you for your blood and the perfect obedience you showed to the Father. Thank you for your sacrifice, thank you for your love. Thank you for becoming human so you would have human blood, perfect human blood to spill every drop on our behalf. Thank you that you hear our prayer. Thank you for the, you're the God who sees. Thank you that you are active and living in our lives. Thank you that we can trust you. Thank you that we can stand on your word. Thank you for the Eucharist, the ultimate thank you. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. That was part two of the book of Genesis, chapters 21 and 22, on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible Studies, visit seekingtruth.net. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.